Hi, and welcome to the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. I'm Pam Barnhill, your host, and this is the podcast that gives you a peek into the lives of the homeschoolers next door. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 27 of the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. I'm so glad you're joining me here today. Well, I tell you what, I really love chatting with homeschool mamas who have graduated some kids. I just like to pick their brains a little bit about what things they're looking back on that are important to them now that they maybe didn't think were important to them when their kids were younger or things that are not important to them now that they thought were really important when their kids were younger. And Marianne Sutherland is here with us today, and she is just one of those mamas. We get a really good look at how her perceptions have changed as her kids have gotten older. It's a wonderful episode of the podcast. I think you're really going to enjoy it. But before we get started with the podcast, I just wanted to remind you that I have a great free guide available on the blog right now. It's called the Minimum Viable Morning Guide. And the purpose of the guide is to help you get your homeschool morning off to a great start. I talk about the five habits that mom needs to develop to have a good start to the day for everyone. Now, I'm not going to encourage you to wake up before the crack of dawn or get all of your laundry done before the kids are awake or heaven forbid, go out and run five miles in the morning before the sun's even come up. That is not what this guide is about. This guide is all about having the best homeschool mornings that you can have with your children. What five things do you need to get done before the day starts with them to make sure that the day starts really well? And you can find this guide if you go to the show notes for this episode at edsnapshots.com forward slash 27. You can find a link to the guide there. We'll set it up for you to go over and download your guide absolutely free. So it's the Minimum Viable Morning Guide. Get yours and start having better homeschool mornings today. And now, on with the podcast. Marianne Sunderland is a mom of eight, seven of whom have dyslexia and all of whom have special talents and strengths. In fact, two of her teens are accomplished sailors and have undertaken to sail solo around the world. Through her book, Dyslexia 101, and her blog, Abundant Life, Marianne has become a source of information and support for other parents of dyslexic children. Marianne makes a compelling case for parenting outside the box, nurturing children's God-given strengths and talents, and equipping them to pursue their passions and purpose for all families, whether they face unique learning challenges or not. Marianne, welcome to the program. Thank you, Pam. It's nice to be here. Well, I'm just happy you're here. I've been looking forward to this. Go ahead and start off by telling me a little bit about your family. Sure. So you you told everybody that we have eight kids, which is always makes for interesting conversations. And then when I tell them that we homeschool, it becomes even more interesting. But we've always homeschooled. We started homeschooling about this is our 20th year of homeschooling. And at the time, you know, we started homeschooling because we wanted to travel a lot. We, my husband is British and Australian and we sail as a family. And so we knew that we wanted to sail. We wanted that freedom. And then, you know, that was our kind of educational philosophy was be free, you know, be together. And then 
when our oldest was in kindergarten, our first grade, we became Christians. And then we were like, wow, you know, we're homeschooling because we want to give them a Christian education. And that was neat. And then when our oldest was about seven, we realized that there was something that wasn't quite right. You know, he was super bright and articulate, but just could not figure out how to read. He could not remember the rules we were teaching him. And so we discovered that he had dyslexia and that my husband had dyslexia, which he had, he never knew growing up. And so, you know, our, we've been homeschooling for 20 years, but the reasons that our methods have changed quite a bit over those 20 years. Okay. So of your eight kids, you have how many boys and how many girls? Four and four. Oh, so you're just evenly split down the middle. Yes. And Although I must say that you know, we've always had boy girl or girl girl, and the last two are boy boy. They're eight and five, and I'm telling you, this is a whole new dynamic. <laughs> I'm like, I'm 50 now, and I have this eight and five year old who are always climbing on something or finding something they shouldn't have and using it to damage something. You know, they're just two boys together is quite something. It's a whole new ball game, isn't it? I'm telling you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And as you were talking, I was thinking. Oh, you know, she's older now than was she when she was when she started. And I bet that yes. makes a big difference having those two boys at the end there. It does. But fortunately, you know, the older kids are very, you know, they just like to play. So I don't have to really climb under the kitchen table and their fort so much, you know, occasionally for a cup of tea with them, you know, and then they go on to their sisters who are more fun. But uh, it's luckily we ha they have siblings. Yeah. Let me start you off with a multiple choice question. Your homeschool day is most like which literary classic? Would it be A, The Odyssey, B, Little Women, C, Swiss Family Robinson, or D, Lord of the Flies? <laughs> well, definitely not Lord of the Flies. We haven't reached that point yet, but it's a, probably a little bit of each, honestly. You know, I mean, we our kids, we live in Southern California, so they spend a lot of time outside. And Robinson Crusoe is one of our favorite stories because we just love the, the you know, we sail as a family. Yeah. Um, and the whole idea of being self-sustaining. In fact, interestingly, when, let's see, when our oldest, we had four children, we took three years off of, my husband took a sabbatical from work and we rented out our house and we sailed for three years. We read a lot of stories of adventurers and Robinson Crusoe, of course. And that was the first book that my son was able to read. You know, it was an easy reader version, but on his own. And they would go to the beach and they would hack down bamboo and coconuts. We were in Mexico and make bowls. And the whole cruising community of kids was reenacting their Robinson Crusoe. So, you know, in Little Women, you know, we've got the four girls. So we have that whole thing going on. <laughs> So we, we have it all going on over here. And definitely the Odyssey, you know, sailing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So adventures for sure. You know, these we, journeys we to... home. Hopefully you're avoiding some of the monsters. <laughs> yes. Although the boys like those stories, but no, so far, no monsters. Well, what is an important skill that you want your kids to learn before they grow up and leave home? You know, I find more and more just those critical thinking skills are so important. You know, we went from trying the traditional school methods of just buying a, you know, box curriculum and failing miserably to Charlotte Mason, you know, where we were outside and we were talking and then, but before they leave home, I think it's so important for them to just develop a sense of discernment, you know, especially in the times that we live in and critical thinking to be able to 
navigate their way through everything that's going on in the world today. Yeah, it's so easy to get caught up in things that just aren't even true with social media being like it is. So yeah, that is an important skill. Well, do you have a backup plan, a kind of a go-to backup plan for when your homeschool plans for the day fall through? Definitely, because we have a lot of interruptions. And, you know, this year has been more mellow than most, fortunately. But, you know, I think I, I fall in line with what many of your readers do. And that is, listen, I mean, we, we have a, just an abundance of audiobooks with our dyslexic learners. And it's, you know, laying out blankets all over the living room and listening to a book for hours and then playing outside. So if mom and dad are caught up with business or something, it, the kids end up playing, basically. And our older kids are independent. They're fairly independent. We're, we belong to classical conversations now, which has been a huge benefit in streamlining all these kids, teaching all these kids. You know, they're all learning the same thing. And so now my older girls, they're 12 and 10, almost 11, can run through memory work with the boys. They're better at it than me, actually. They, they're much more fun than me. So we can cover our basics. You know, they can do memory work. They can do their math pretty much on their own. And then just playing, which I'm a huge believer in, you know, just the power of play, reading good books and playing. Yeah, lots and lots of time for play. Mm -hmm. Well, if you were walking down a homeschool vendor hall and you turn the corner and you ran into the younger version of yourself, what would you tell her? What would I tell myself? I think I would just tell myself to relax. You know, I have seen now having graduated three kids and I have one graduating this year. I have seen the, the way that God fills in the gaps in our kids' educations. I've seen how the things that I worried about were non-issues oftentimes. And I'm talking about academic things. You know, character is another issue. But academically speaking, you know, I learned, I don't know, maybe, I don't know when I learned it, but I learned to stop fretting about their future success, say, you know, what degree they're going to get, what college they're going to go to and start looking at them as individuals and say, who are you? What are you good at? What do you like doing? And helping them to hone in on those things and letting go of the notion that they had to follow this one particular path. Our family has kind of a interesting story in that my family is very highly educated. Everybody has a degree. My grandmother, who was born in 1906, had a master's degree. So that gives you an idea. You know, women didn't even go to college all that much back then, but let alone have a master's degree. And then my husband's side of the family, you know, I think a lot of them had dyslexia. So they're musicians, they're artists, (laughs) tradesmen. And so he is very entrepreneurial, which is a strength of dyslexia. And when we were first married, was like, oh, our kids don't need to go to college. And I would, you know, it was like blasphemy. I was like, how could you say that? But over the years, you know, I've realized that he's right. You know, when we took three years off of our sale of working to go sailing, do you know who was out there? The families, they were tradesmen, entrepreneurs, people who had invested. They weren't white collar workers. There were a couple for sure. But in general, they were people who could think outside the box and free themselves up in the middle of what would be considered, you know, the busiest years of your earning life, you know, when you have a young family to Mm -hmm. take time off and, and go, you know, be free and live with their families. So, you know, I've really learned not to fret about academics, although it's important. I don't want to make it sound like it's not important, but God has a plan for all of our kids. And, you know, they, He will show us what it is if we ask him. And so that's more important, I think. 
Right. And just the idea that you're not fretting about academics doesn't necessarily mean that academics aren't happening. It just means you're not worried about it. Exactly. I remember distinctly teaching Zach, our oldest, about nouns and verbs in, I don't know, second grade or something and being really freaked out, you know, that he just could not remember, you know, and this is, he was seven, I think. And I was really concerned, you know, this is one of those nagging things in my head. And I got the grammar book for the next year and, and there it was again. And I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and now I don't even teach grammar. Well, in CC we do, but I had stopped teaching grammar till seventh grade because it doesn't stick and it just goes right in in junior high. So I figured why, why make ourselves miserable? You know, wisdom comes with age, I suppose. Yeah. And you know, that's funny because it does. It really does stick. I've seen it where, you know, I've had a mixed class of elementary and junior high kids and the junior high kids just get it so much easier. Yes. And so why do we keep beating our head against the wall with these elementary Mm -hmm. kids? And I think it's because schools just need something to fill the time. (laughs) It's true. And, And that is why I really love the classical model now. I love when my kids I knew they were really smart, but they couldn't read and memorize math facts and different classic things that happen when you have dyslexia. And I remember thinking, you know, how do people learn? You know, and I was learning and I was reading. I was trying to figure out how people learn and and just studying, you know, I have a degree in psychology. So I understood, you know, development, but I didn't really understand the development of learning. And so I read a lot about it. And the classical model really does make a lot of sense. <laughs> it's yeah. very, it just really helps you to, I mean, you know, I think that a lot of the problems in the schools today is that they're wanting kids to function at a, at a mental level that they're not capable of. But the classical model understands the development of the thinking mind and teaches accordingly. And it makes life a whole lot easier. Well, let's talk a little bit about the dyslexia because seven of your eight kids are And so how did you figure this out about your son? Did you have him tested? Were there signs that you saw yourself? And then were the signs, I mean, did the next one come along and you're like, oh, yeah, there I see it. Or were the signs different from child to child? A little bit of both. So uh, let me back up just a little. Zach, you know, like I said, was real bright, huge vocabulary. You know, we read a lot, but he really got stuck as soon as something wasn't strictly phonetic. He couldn't remember the rules. And so we did have him tested. There was a local Christian school that had an educational psychologist who could test him. And she, he has the classic signs of dyslexia. It's, you know, high IQ with slow processing speeds and basic. We had him tested and, and there wasn't a lot back then out there that I could find in the, but so I did finally kind of figure out more and more by watching him. Kids with dyslexia can manifest very differently. So when my daughter Abby was coming up and she was seven, you know, she was struggling some with reading too, but not as severely, but she had different processing issues. She had auditory processing issues, whereas Zach had more visual processing issues. So it was, it does look different in different kids for sure. But now I just, I don't test kids anymore. I know. (laughs) I can tell before they're, you know, I can tell at about three or four years old if they have dyslexia or not. Oh, wow. So what are some of the, you know, as a homeschooling parent, if I have a child who's struggling to read, and it just so happens I do, what are some of the signs I should look for? Well, if your child is in elementary school age, say, you know, they don't like reading, but they love being read to, right? Their intelligence and creativity is there. They love the good story but they don't enjoy reading it. Their reading is slow, inaccurate. Here's another biggie. They use context clues 
rather than sounding words out. So they'll Mm -hmm. look around at the pictures or the shape and size of the word and guess, but they won't actually take the time and effort to sound a word out. They always have trouble with spelling. Very phonetic. Someone said once to me that it was like the Chick-fil-A cow. You know, that's (laughs) it's so true. Um, And there's also letter and number reversals after first grade. Some kids with dyslexia have trouble with handwriting and memorizing math facts. They can be unorganized, although I have kids who are quite organized. So it just depends. Well, what have you done? What adjustments did you make for your children in response to their unique needs as you discovered that, you know, there was an issue there? Well, there's there's quite a few things. Now, as far as reading goes, a few years ago, we, quite a few years ago now, we started our kids with tutoring. So we use the Orton-Gillingham, somebody who uses the Orton-Gillingham method. We had a son who was severely dyslexic or profoundly dyslexic, and he was at a Barton tutor for a few years and it really did not progress at all. He needed something more. So he went to an NILD, National Institute of Learning Development, which I highly recommend them. Because they do, they work on that poor memory. People with dyslexia often have poor working memory. They can't hold that thought in their head and do something else. And they they really need to, some of them can overcome it on their own. But if they're more severely dyslexic, you know, it's good to work on the working memory. Um, so, so we did some tutoring. I now have an Orton-Gillingham tutor myself now. And I, I use... Um, all about reading and all about spelling. They're Mm -hmm. great programs for teaching reading. It's the Orton-Gillingham method. And then as far as in general teaching, there's too much to really talk about all, you know, in in our talk about my website, homeschoolingwithdyslexia.com has a lot of teaching tips, but keeping things short, Charlotte Masony, hands-on, discussion-based and connected. So, you know, all of these things help. Uh, Dyslexics, they're big picture thinkers. They get lost in details. They just can't even really see the details. So if you give them the big picture and then fill in the details, they're much better at remembering them. Whereas if you give them little details and help their, hope they're going to piece them all together and get the big picture, it's, it's a much more difficult task. Oh, that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. And so it's they, okay, help me get this right. They do better with a whole to parts method of instruction. instead of a parts to whole. And so when you're dealing, and I don't mean to turn this completely, but this is good stuff for people to know. But when you're dealing with like even foreign language instruction or mathematics instruction for a child who might be dyslexic or you suspect is dyslexic, work more from a whole to parts instead of the other way around. Right. So like with math, you're going to give them show them what they're doing. You know, we used Matthew C for years because it showed them what they were doing and they could understand why when you divide fractions, it makes more pieces, right? It, it's just, yeah. So if they can understand why, they always want to know why. They have a very difficult time with rote, kind of boring kind of work, which can look like willfulness sometimes, but really and truly, it's just that their minds don't, thrive in that kind of learning. So learning math facts can be very difficult. They just don't stick. But there's lots of ways to teach them their math facts that do stick. You just so it's multisensory, you know, using images and things like that that help kids with dyslexia remember things, which is a classic dyslexia learning issue is that they just seem to forget things very easily. Well, let's talk a little bit about how this is developed with your children. So you've graduated three kids. Mm -hmm. And of the three kids, I'm assuming that at least two of them have dyslexia. 
So how have they gone on and adapted after they've left your homeschool? All three of them have dyslexia. So my oldest son, Zach, he he took his junior year off of school and sailed around the world. So he, it's a long story. I should, well, I'll give you the links to his website in our documentaries, but he did this amazing trip and came back and finished high school and graduated and went to college for a semester and was like, mom, I can't do this. You know, he just really did not want to sit down and learn about what other people were doing. He wanted to go do things. And so he got his captain's license and he has a hundred ton license and he does boat deliveries for people and teaches sailing and, and loves it because it's adventurous and he's on the water and he's, you know, with different people. So that's his thing. That's awesome. Yeah. And so he loves that and I'm okay with that. You know, I, I don't think, you know, we're going to get him to go back to college. So I've kind of let that go. And then our daughter, Abby, she's uh, 22 now. She just turned 22 and she, uh, She also took her junior year off of high school and sailed around the world. She made it halfway and was rolled by a rogue wave. So she has a book and a documentary. I'll I'll give you the links for those later. But she did. She graduated. She came back. She finished her 12th grade year, did a lot of speaking and then met a really nice guy and got married. So she Mm -hmm. is a mommy and stays home with her boys. And it's funny because when she was growing up, I kept thinking, this girl, you know, <laughs> she would make a great mommy, you know, because she really mommied a lot of our kids, you know. I think the kids were a little confused when they were younger. One of them actually called her Addie Mama because she wasn't <laughs> sure <laughs> she was. So, and then our, our one that graduated last year, Toby, he just finished his Eagle Scout project. He is also working with my husband and wants to get his captain's license and go into our family business, which is yacht management. So, He's still, I'm still urging him to go to school. He, he's taking a gap year to go back and study business. He's very gifted with people and social, has great social networking skills. So we'll see what happens with him. It's early days. But they've all adapted and, you know, they're doing great. And it sounds like they're doing better than most because they're doing things that they love. Yes. You know, it's interesting From my perspective, you know, I have a daughter who's graduating this year and homeschooling really does avoid a lot of the pitfalls of education, you know, the stressing and the peer pressure and all that. And, you know, our kids have always grown up with this idea of God made me for a purpose. I can know what it is if I ask. And they hone in on it much earlier than I did. I know that I had no clue what I was going to do. No one really had that conversation with me. Growing up, I was just always, it was expected I'd go to college. And then my parents were generous, pick whatever subject you want to study and just graduate, <laughs> you know. But our kids, they're just not, they're, they're no nonsense, you know. They're like, I, I, I'll go to college if it's going to serve my purposes. But, you know, otherwise, I'm not so sure. And so we're very much more, our daughter who's graduating this year is a dancer. And she's taking classes at the community college right now. And, you know, she struggles a little bit with the structure, but she's doing well. So she's, we're just praying, you know, if she should do some kind of certification course or if she should press on and get, do physical therapy. So it's not, it's never like a message from heaven saying, this is what you will be doing. You know, it's very much a day by day, year by year thing where you're asking God and you're seeing what opportunities come up and changing your course slightly as you travel along. 
Right. But unlike so many of the kids who are in school, they don't get those blinders, those college blinders on so early that they can't be receptive to the other things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to ask you about this. In this day and age of helicopter parenting, how do you let your 16, 17 year old sail around the world? Because, (laughs) you know, I I have a 10 year old. (laughs) I have a 10 year old and I don't think she could walk to the park three or four blocks from my house. (laughs) And it's not that I don't want her to be able to. It's just with the world like it is, she's never done it. Right. So how do you do that? Well, First of all, you know, when Zach came to us, it's kind of an interesting story because he was, he had actually gone to the local Christian high school for a year to play football and got in trouble, not in trouble necessarily by the world standards, but by our standards. And we pulled him out and we said, you know what, you are cut off. But we really, I mean, you know, he was our oldest and we didn't quite understand the changes that young adults go through or older teens go through, you know, and he was definitely changing so much. We were like, who are you? And he was home and we were praying like crazy. We're like, Lord, you know, give that kid a purpose because we don't, you know, he was into everything growing up. And as an early teen, he was kind of like, that's boring, you know, and we were just like, who is this kid? Right. So we prayed and long story short, he came out of his room one night and he said, you know, we'd watched a documentary about the first round the world sailing race. And he said, I could do that. And Fast forward six months, you know, he had a boat, he had a route and he took off. And it was like I said to Lawrence when in bed that night after we were talking about what he'd said. And I said, it's like he's been preparing for it his whole life. You know, what with sailing as a family and going to all the kids go to work with Lawrence, especially if they're not behaving at home. (laughs) They just (laughs) go to work with Lawrence and they, they get the bad jobs, you know. And so he learned how to work on boats. He had been through football where he learned, you know, the endurance and the hard work, how that pays off. And of course, we'd read a lot of books about sailing and adventures and so forth. And so, you know, he was uniquely prepared to go. And technology today makes it, I don't want to say easy, but it makes it a lot easier than it used to be. And so, you know, with radar and GPS and autopilots and, you know, long range radios and so forth, he had a weather router that would check his weather every couple of days and route him around storms and stuff. And so, you know, he he just was uniquely prepared for it. And it really was a wonderful thing for him. He he grew a lot closer to uh, Lawrence, my husband, his dad you know, where they had been kind of butting heads before, but he needed his wisdom. And he had to admit that Lawrence had more wisdom (laughs) than him. So that was kind of an added bonus. But and the same with Abby, really, Abby had wanted to go around the world for since she was 13, she had been asking. And we were saying, of course not, you know, you're too young. And after Zach went, she came to us, she was 16 and said, well, you know, could I go? And we said, well, we're broke now. (laughs) Because Zach's trip, you know, took more than we expected. And we said, but pray and see if a sponsor comes on board. And she, we put out a press release and prayed and a full sponsor came on board right away. So, you know, there's a lot of prayer involved. It's never, was never done recklessly. And, you know, the kids were just very well prepared. Lawrence actually tried to discourage Abby from taking her trip by taking her on boat deliveries in bad weather. And she loved it. 
He said, I've never seen anything like it. Most people are crying or throwing up or down below curled up in a ball. And she would just be, you know, soaking wet, starving, hungry, big smile on her face, you know. So they're unique children for sure. I could never do it, but they were uniquely prepared, I think. Well, we will definitely include links to both of their stories, websites, books, documentaries in the show notes. So I know that there will be some people out there who would love to look into that a little further. Well, Marianne, are you ready for a pop quiz? Sure. Okay, here we go. Coffee or tea? Coffee. A little bit country or a little bit rock and roll? (sighs) A little bit rock and roll. Well-trained mind or unschoolers anonymous? (laughs) Well-trained mind. Early bird or night owl? Early bird. Craft or read aloud? Read aloud. Lap book or workbook? Workbook. Co-op or stay home? Co-op. Bed made or unmade? Bed made. Bookmark or dog ear? (laughs) Uh, Dog ear. Sonnet or haiku? Haiku. Marianne, where can we find you online? I have a blog called Abundant Life. That's MarianneSunderland.com. I don't write there very much anymore. It's a kind of a general homeschooling blog, large family kind of thing. And I primarily am writing now at homeschoolingwithdyslexia.com. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. It was my pleasure. Thank you. And there you have it. If you would like links to the resources that Marianne and I chatted about today, you can head on over to the show notes at edsnapshots.com forward slash 27. There you can find links to the books we chatted about and also links to Marianne's Homeschooling with Dyslexia website where she offers courses for moms to feel more confident in homeschooling their dyslexic children. All of that can be found on the website. And hey, if you have left a rating or review for the Homeschool Snapshots podcast in iTunes, I just want to say thank you very much for doing that. The reviews that you leave help encourage iTunes to show the podcast to more people. So we really appreciate you doing that. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another great homeschool mom interview. And until then, keep on homeschooling.